good evening got the checklist all checked off there it's recording I think just pray that the uh, internet connection stays up and service will stream cleanly so we have started a, another study here Wednesday nights uh, we've been going verse by verse through uh, many of the New Testament books and uh, we finished Galatians and Colossians now we're on first Timothy but tonight we're going to open with a couple verses out of the book of John. John chapter 15. If the world hate you, Jesus speaking here, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and uh, help, help me to present your message for your people tonight. Lord, we just ask for uh, just understanding and wisdom in these days that we can grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So we'll be in, by way of introduction, we were in uh, the book of John there, but we're going to spend the majority of our time in the book of Acts, chapters 19 and 20 tonight. I think... Good, okay. So our series is started with lesson number one, uh, Problems Churches Face. Uh, we've been looking in Acts 9, uh, 918, uh, chapter 19, now chapter 20. There's more to this lesson. It's kind of a survey that we're starting out here as an introduction to the book of First Timothy. And what, where we started is uh, bullet item one up there is a church is established. We've gone through chapters 18, 19, and... 20 is where we're going to be spending uh, some time tonight uh, talking about church birth and church growth. And we're on point B tonight, church growth. We'll continue in that one, hopefully, Lord willing, finish that up tonight. So if you would, just turn over to um, Acts chapter 19. And uh, we'll be looking at verses, uh, turn there myself. Verses 23, starting in verse 23. So what's going on here are, uh, as Solomon had stated, you know there's nothing new under the sun, whether it be something good or something evil. And uh, we're going to see that our day today, the parallels that we see in the world today are no different than what happened in, in Paul's day and in the writers of the Old Testament's days in some instances as well. So this uh, 19, chapter 19, verse 23, is starting, a, uh, starting a recording some history about some events going on in Ephesus, and we're focusing on this church of Ephesus here. So, titled this section of it, that we have riots in Ephesus. And you know, revival or church growth or anything done for the Lord is not without conflict. The world is going to resist, and this is what we see here. So just a, a, a question of, of you if, you, if you consider this. What if a revival were to stir up in America again? Maybe this revival takes place in a place, a little town called Green Bay, Wisconsin. Anybody ever hear of Green Bay, Wisconsin? It's famous for what? The Packers, right? And football. Maybe some cheese, too, that they somehow <laughs> put on their heads. That's kinda, I'd rather put it in my mouth myself, but... <laughs> Um, right, Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers. People would be turning to Christ there and being saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That'd be really wonderful. The church pews would be full, and they'd be so full on Sundays that the football stadium would be empty. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
you know, football's an interesting thing, but if it takes away, t- takes you away from the Lord, or anything, takes you away from the time with the Lord, it can be a sin. So football would lose ticket and TV ad revenue, and, and they probably wouldn't be too happy about that, right? Our world today, America today, it's motivated by money. How much money can I get? And they wouldn't be happy about it. So something similar to this happened in Ephesus that we'll see here tonight, chapter 19, where the monetizers of that day, people who were just focused on getting money and gain and, and, uh, and continuing to, to think that, you know, I have all this stuff, but it's just not enough. I need more. Where the monetizers of that day's religion, they were losing money or were just about ready to lose money. So verse 23 there arose no small stir about that way. And what we're talking about here is Christianity, right? This new way, well, it's always been the same way, right? Salvation by faith has always been the way that uh, man had, is reconciled to God. It's through faith. Verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Hey, this is our business here. We make these trinkets, people buy them up and they pray to them or worship them or do whatever it is that they would want to do in their religion. This is how we make our money. Verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. That's amazing. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands. What's this guy coming in here? He's wrecking our business model, right? You have this business plan that you present to your investors, and you've got to have a business plan that you present to them so they can give you funding. And uh, he's, he's turned it all upside down. Well, the Lord is doing a work there. He's turning the world upside down. And pointing out that there is only one true God and his son Jesus Christ that by him and faith on him you have remission of sins and, 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 and salvation and they're, they're none too happy about this verse 27 so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worshipeth Oh no, our football revenue is going to go down. Oh no, the guys that dress in spandex and chase a ball around the field and hit each other are going to lose some money. Oh well. So if this way continues to spread, our livelihoods are in danger. Demetrius and his friends thought. So they were driven to, what do you do? You get angry, right? We're going to get angry and we're going to start throwing a fit. Verse 28, And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. I don't know what the Packers say. Go, I know what the Pittsburgh Steelers say. They go Stillers. They don't, um, that's the uh, correct pronunciation of Steelers in Pittsburgh. Um, Go Stillers. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They're not, 
are, do they really believe that great is Diana of the Ephesians, or is it my my money is flying out the door, it's growing wings and leaving? And the whole city was filled with confusion. In the same manner, if a revival were to spark in our day, there would be many in the world who would rise to oppose it. The industries of vice would rage against virtue because they would stand to lose money. Right? Our our society today, our American society, right? The the pinnacle of man's devolution, not evolution, in, in culture. The, the, the filth that comes out of Hollywood, the portrayal in the media of, of uh, <coughs> virtue and versus vice, which one is elevated and extended versus which one is supplanted, all of these things and more. The ad revenue, you got to have this new car, you got to have this brand of toy or this cereal or this, I don't know. In my day, it was buy this box of Lucky Charms and you get a little toy in the yeah, all of these things. My kids had some lucky charms today. Um, right, they're, they're going to stand to lose money. The industries of vice would rage against virtue. So we see riotous behavior in our country today. Right? I mean, we, we live in Oregon. We're, we're quite, um, quite well-versed in what occurs in Portland. I'm thankful that it's some 60, <coughs> 70, 80 miles away from here. Uh, a nice distance. Um, but you know, we see riotous behavior in our country today. No matter what they're clamoring for or against, all of this is rebellion against God, right? What are some of the things that are being clamored for today? They're out protesting for something. We want $15 an hour minimum wage, right? This is a common refrain. I've heard now it's not just 15, what is it, 27? Or did somebody say $70 an hour? Um, economics is far from them. Where is my stimulus money? Where is my free cash? Uh, I, I mean, if, if your hope is trusting in some check to come in the mail, you have a small hope. You have a great God there that is ready to bless you as you turn and serve him. His blessings will be what you need. That's an important thing. Give me my unemployment benefit or give me my, just fill in the blank, right? There's, there's self-focus, inward focus on me instead of what, uh, what is Kennedy's line? What, ask what not you can do or what, what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. You know, ask not what society or, or this world can do for you, but what can I do for my God might be a better way to consider that. So, but this world is focused on give me, give me, give me, give me. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? What happened to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28? Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands the thing which is good, that he might have to give to him that needeth. Right? Not to go out there and take from somebody else. I'm going to Take this stimulus check. Does anybody in here have an idea where that comes from? That comes from, well, it doesn't necessarily come from, from us right now. It will come from these little guys here and the ones that aren't even born yet. We're taking now and stealing. Let him that steals steal no more. We're stealing from the next generations by having these things come through. It's a shame. But we should rather work. 
rather than take. Focus on what do we really need. M much beyond that is just greed. So that was supposed to be the end of last last week's lesson. Got through that here in the first little bit here. But, you know, to summarize that section and the rest of, of last week's lesson, lesson where we looked at the sons of Sceva and their seeking to, you know, cash in on what the Apostle Paul was doing. Hey, he's, he's saying the magic words and casting out the well, alleged ma magic words. We can do that too. And they got, they got a whooping for, for that sort of thinking and not trusting in God, right? It's faith. That's the, the key point here. So we see that in church growth that the Lord gives the increase as believers yield and serve him. Right? It's in the Christian life it is not us doing something, right? That is pride. I think I mentioned last time there's a phrase out there, there's no I in team. There isn't. There's an I in pride. It very much is. God's plan is simple. Less of me and more of Christ. Church growth where we will not be without distraction and contention, both from within and without the church. And Paul will go on to further address the within the church sections here as we as we move through uh, move through our lessons. But we've seen some from without. Demetrius is contending with the church. He's, he, he and the others there that are building these little trinkets are, are standing to lose money. But others within the church, uh, again, when that I and pride starts creeping in, nothing good comes from it. So after this, Paul travels to Greece in chapter 20. He's there for three months, and then he travels to Macedonia. And then he travels from Philippi to Troas, and Paul has the opportunity to preach. So I'm glad everybody is sitting down now and that we, you know, we have a nice church. We have a great building to be in. We have people here tonight. Some churches have pretty large buildings and they have balconies in the back. I'm thankful we don't have a balcony tonight. It's, it's Wednesday, it's a little late. We want everybody seated and not like this man that we see here in Acts chapter 20, verse 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathering together, gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eustychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, which I've done that before, um, as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. He fell out of the window. And he died. Paul was a pretty long preacher. You know, there are countries or church bodies in the world today, in countries where it's nothing to be preaching for hours on a day and people are there willing and waiting. And I guess the stereotypical thing in it may be a Southern Baptist church or a church in the South is, okay, what time's it going to be done? We got to get to the buffet. It's start. We got to beat the uh, Presbyterians to the buffet. Um, but I'm thankful that the spirit here is that, that we, uh, we tolerate the preaching and, and not only tolerate, you know, it's, it's more, I shouldn't use that word. We don't tolerate the preaching, we enjoy it here. Uh, to be able to draw closer to God, to hear his word preached and proclaimed. I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> and Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. A miracle that Paul wrought there. 
After this, Paul travels to the coastal city of Miletus to meet with the Ephesian church elders. His intent was to encourage, instruct, and to warn them while still purposing to arrive in Jerusalem on time. He had uh, he was headed to Jerusalem. That's, that's where he knew he was needed or needed to be. Uh, but along the way, <clears throat> he didn't want to travel inland to go to Ephesus. He had spent several years there and had undoubtedly many friends and many connections and didn't most likely didn't want to be distracted. So if I stay on the coast and I call the elders to me, I can give them some instruction and I can still continue on this, this mission that I need to go. So verse 20, let's, you know, let's, um, how about we have some people read a little bit here to break things up a little bit. So three verses at a time. Who would like to, to read? Brother Chris, uh, you'll have 17, 18, 19. Pastor, 20 through 22. And we, we're still going on down. Sorry, we're going down a ways. We have slots for five, uh, all the way down to 31. Brother Charles, 23 to 25. And Brother Austin, uh, 26 through 28, and then I'll wrap up with 29 through 31. <clears throat> From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and grave of Jesus. You know, some. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I want to just, after the, I'll break it in between each of these verses here. So I, I want to um, just comment here, too, is, is one thing that, you, that I think of when looking at the Apostle Paul or another faithful minister of Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if it's in the, in the Bible times or if it's in today's times, the word that always comes to mind is consistency. Right, you're consistent with your message. You're consistent with your action. You're consistent with your walk. Consistent with your talk. It's a consistent life, always pointing to Christ. Consistency, Pastor, verse twenty. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. But now, behold, I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. And here again, we see that consistent gospel message of repentance toward God, turning to God from our sins and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always been that way. By faith are you saved. In the Old Testament, looking forward to the cross, in our time, looking backward to the cross. Brother Charles. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction divide me, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. 
right here, Paul has been given by the Lord Jesus Christ and taught, taught by the Lord Jesus Christ personally the gospel of grace, these, this message. He's been given this burden, and if he didn't do it willingly, he would still, it was still his burden to do. Lord, uh, praise the Lord, he did it willingly. And, you know, that's each of our burdens, too, is now that we're saved, our burden is to go tell the lost world much like Christ, or much like Paul did here, and others that we see throughout Scripture. That's our responsibility today. You know, the Christian, the church would die out and would have died out in the first century if no one had gone. You know, faithful ministers at home, faithful ministers to go to a neighbor's house, to the next town, to the next country, these things. These things are still needed. This is the way the gospel propagates is person to person. Communicating the simple truth that Jesus Christ is real. He came, put on a body, lived a perfect life without sin, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven. And preaching and teaching that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that he's done all of these things, that you will be saved. Heard a preacher today preaching on a campus in Texas, um, making some points that I just uh, want to raise here. It's not really related, but you know, how can we trust that the Bible is the Word of God? Something to consider. And his one-word answer, which I'll modify slightly, is into a couple-word answer: the Jewish people. How else do you explain their preservation? throughout the years and the millennia that God has said he would work and has done so and has preserved them as a people throughout all times. He brought the Messiah through them as we read in his word. And he's not done with them yet. Right? Our church, the church is not Israel as we've, as we've looked at before. The church is a wholly separate entity. They still need to be saved just like anybody else does. Just something to consider there is why can we, a reason that we can trust that the Bible is true, the Jewish people. All right, so we have the next, the next one, Brother Austin, verse 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shown to declare to you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And that key verse there will come at the very end there, just a, a proof that Jesus Christ is God, another scriptural proof. At the very end there of verse 28, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He referring to God. God's blood purchased the church of God. Who, whose blood purchased the church of God? Jesus Christ's blood purchased the church of God. Another proof among many that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That through him, his, his sacrifice was the only sacrifice that could pay for sin. And then too here in, at the beginning of verse 28, Paul is instructing and warning the elders of Ephesus to beware and to make sure that you are keeping the flock. Now, often the, the church 
has been equated to sheep being led by a shepherd and the capital S shepherd being the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but here there are earthly overseers, pastors, ministers in that capacity to watch over, to make sure that people are, are being taught the right things, to uh, being led in, in proper doctrine, to among many things. But again, he's just exhorting them to continue doing that. In verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every, every one night and day with tears. And here he's... he's Encouraging in previous verse to for the uh, the elders there to watch, watch over the flock. Why? Because there are going to be people that are going to come in. They're going to twist the Christian doctrines that are are, are pure into something just a little off, and take people away following after them. And for sake of time, we won't go into any of those things. We spend a lot of time from time to time. We touch on various errant so-called Christian doctrines and the important part is that if you can't back up your beliefs with what the Bible has to say, if you're backing it up with worldly philosophy, if you're backing it up with your feelings there's a famous uh, conservative commentator that says facts don't care about your feelings, well neither does doctrine, uh, the, the doctrine of the Bible, the Bible doesn't care what you feel about it it, it, it stands as its own as the, the arbiter of what is true and what is right. You don't go to the Bible to find what you believe. You go to the Bible to, f to believe what you find. That's the important part. So that, if it, again, to be swayed into errant doctrine is to not really trust that the Bible is the word of God and that it says what it says and it means what it says. And here we see that Paul spent uh, three years warning everyone night and day with tears. All right, so questions in your book. Time for more interactive Wednesday night interaction. Question number six, how thoroughly did Paul prepare the church at Ephesus for coming problems when we consider this passage here of Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 31? How thoroughly did Paul prepare the church at Ephesus for the coming problems? And again, with some of these questions, it's a little bit, there's maybe better ways to phrase the questions, but just, well, Paul spent how much time? I mean, if we consider the time he spent three years teaching all around Asia, not just at Ephesus, but all around. But what was the other thing that Paul did? He was consistent in what he said. It's giving them a consistent warning, consistent teaching of the coming problems for three years. All right, so the Ephesian church had a great scripture teaching and ministry training uh, core in, in, in its time in the early days due to the involvement of Paul and other servants of the Lord. But as we'll see, it was not a super church that was immune to problems from within and without. You know, you can have the best teachers, you can have the best pastor, you can have the best things and things don't always go right right it's not a guarantee 
that 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 our our church will be a solid bible believing church it takes work it doesn't come by accident a church that is reading and, and and reading their bibles is praying is gathering together these things will help but we have to be consistent about it So though we cannot be certain of the exact circumstances, it's apparent that at some later point that a young man named Timothy was appointed pastor of the church at Ephesus. And leading the church through struggles and difficulties was now his responsibility. And I know at my parents' church, they, um, I think Pastor Coleman's been there for now about a year, somewhere in that time frame, but he's a younger man. He's in his later 20s, uh, so... Yeah, I guess I can call him a young man. I'm not a young man anymore. And uh, actually, sorry, I will always be a young man. <laughs> That's my grandfather's joke. And, you know, th- that um, could be a challenge. So I'll ask you a question in a minute, Pastor, after we get through this next question here about that. Question number seven, oh, well, First Timothy. Now we're getting into the actual text here. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, with those first two verses there, how intimidated do you think Timothy was when he stepped into Paul's shoes as a young pastor? Timothy's a young man. Brother Austin? Right. 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 Yeah. You're. 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 Okay. You're. You're traveling with Paul. You're seeing a lot of what Paul is doing, and what's happening to those that are not actually followers of Christ. Yeah, that could be a bit intimidating there. Um, you know, but I, I have. I have a thought too. Considering that, yes, that's something to. And the word will come up here in a minute. I think a man of God. I don't think would be intimidated. Be. Co- of being called to pastoral leadership. Now, the key there's key words there. A man of God. Not be intimidated being called to pastoral leadership, but rather would fear God. And I think that's what Brother Austin is alluding, alluding to, is fear God. And that fear is a reverential respect with humility, right? The pride, the I part of it goes away as you realize that you can't do it by yourself. You can't be the pastor of a church, lead the church at Ephesus. You can't lead the church at Mid-Valley here in Corvallis without the Lord's leading. So a man of God wouldn't have to be intimidated, but would have to have respect toward God, to fear God. And, you know, the other thing, too, here is that, that uh, well, we'll save that one. All right, pastor, you're on the spot now. Pastor, what was it like to face the day of being pastor of Mid Valley Baptist Church that very first day? Well, we started the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, um, the first day was interesting. We had uh, we visited along the road where we uh, 
mobile home was. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the first service we had in our house, we had a couple of children in the living room. And uh, the next service was in uh, in Rec Hall in the park where we were. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, one of the ladies from the road, lived down the road, and bought a couple of her children and, and was in, in the Rec Hall there. And of course, my wife and two kids as well. And, uh, but you know, God just, whether it's many or whether it's few, you know, you, you preach the word. Right. And, uh, and so God just gives, gives that grace. And, uh, uh, and uh, she, she had said to, said to my wife after the, after the service, she says, that guy preaches like there was a whole lot of people here. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, Amen. Uh, uh, it, was, it was kind of encouraging because you know, preaching is preaching. It is, right? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of scary, but God gives that grace. You know, and like you say, none of us can do anything for Him but by Him. Amen. And, uh, and that's what we trust in. Amen. All right, so winding down here a little bit. A great start for the church at Ephesus would certainly bode well for Timothy. But the stern warnings that Paul gave back in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, had to be on his mind. Right? He's, he's saying, look out for the, ravening, the grievous wolves and these false prophets and, and people coming in, bringing in false doctrines, uh, deceiving people and making disciples of themselves. Perhaps as he entered the ministry, the ravenous wolves were already causing trouble among his flock. Verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. All right, so we'll wrap up with a few questions here at the end. Uh, what hint do you find in verse 3? that Timothy may have been overwhelmed and discouraged. And that's kind of that's kind of a loose question in there. May. We don't know for certain. It's possible. Or do you think he wasn't? Pastor. Well, he says, I besought the Jew of Bodice but then, you know, that's a possibility, but then Paul often spoke <coughs> that way. He kind of begged people to do things rather than the, yeah, wave, waving the finger and saying you will do this, right? Right. right. It, it's it's uh, in a sense letting the Holy Spirit work on Timothy's heart to say, okay, here's here's a ministry, here's a place that you can serve, and it's like you said, begging in in a, in a spirit of begging Timothy to 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 do this instead of commanding him to do this and letting him yield to the Holy Spirit. You know, you can do something of of your own will or you can do something because somebody told you to right and in raising children you know what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach them the way that they should go so when they're old they'll not depart from it right we can tell them to do something but eventually it's the understanding of the moral reason why you need to do this thing and maybe there's a little bit of that here Timothy being a young man Maybe not necessarily being fully confident, like, I can't do this, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. Uh, so, another, yeah, so Paul urged Timothy, like you said, 
didn't command him to, but urged him to, to remain in Ephesus. This is a place where you can minister for the Lord. Question number nine, what clue do you find as to the cause of Timothy's discouragement? Timothy is the, the pastor, the overseer of the church at Ephesus. What might he be discouraged about mentioned here in verse three? Sister? That's right. Yeah, he's he's now he's got the truth. He's been instructed by the Lord by the Apostle Paul, who's been instructed by Christ on what right doctrine is. And now you have a bunch of other people coming in there and saying, "Hey, but what about this?" Let's uh, we've discussed in the Book of Galatians the Judaizers that wanted to continue the law and add that into the gospel, the free gift of salvation. Maybe there were others that were there trying to add things in, but it's the uh, that the others were there teaching wrong doctrine, other doctrine. So he might be discouraged by that. It's like, there's so much wrong stuff being taught out there. What, what can I do about it? Well, just trust in the Lord, continue to do what is right, continue to play, proclaim the truth, do these things. So Paul would be writing to encourage, encourage him in this, to continue that fight. Question number 10, what could have happened to the church at Ephesus if Timothy had left it for another ministerial vocation? All right, I give up. Let's blow this, is it a popcorn stand? Yeah, we're gonna blow this popcorn stand. We're gonna leave, I'm gonna leave here and somebody else can take over. I don't want this job, it's too hard. Well, there's a lot of eyes in some of those statements there, right? We're getting the focus off of who, the who, you're doing the work for, and the what are you to be doing? Proclaiming the, proclaiming the gospel. And you know the church could have been overrun by this false doctrine, could have splintered and fragmented, and again, as we stated, Christianity propagates by the spread of the gospel person to person, one at a time. That would have been in jeopardy. So Paul knew that Timothy staying in Ephesus was important, right? He gave him, he, he urged him into this role of, of leadership in Ephesus. He had already invested time and significant energy into Timothy. He knew who Timothy was. He had seen him grow in the, in the Lord, uh, led him to the Lord personally. He saw him grow, into the, grow in the Lord, and he didn't want to see him give up in the face of problems and thereby jeopardize the Ephesian church. Timothy needed encouragement. We all need encouragement at times, right? Life is not easy. The world is against Christians. We all need encouragement. Timothy needed encouragement and further instruction on how to lead God's church at Ephesus, which we see penning down the doctrines. Paul was able to travel around for a time for those years, setting right in the towns and places, cities that we come to, <coughs> preaching the doctrine personally to people. But now had come the time when the doctrines would begin to be written into letters that we would know that would form the Bible. Scripture at that time was only considered what we know today as the Old Testament. Revelation from Paul and others at this time was the, the way that God was working. 
but that time was coming to a close. Yeah, the age of the apostles, the apostles' time was coming to a close, and it was time to pen these things down. So we see a lot of Paul's epistles, the epistles of John, the gospels that were written, uh, and, and others, the book of Hebrews, and the other uh, letters as well, written so that God's word would be preserved. We believe he did. Kept it through the ages. Uh, so that today we can pick up a copy in our own language and read it for ourselves and and let God's Holy Spirit speak to us to find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of that. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight. Lord, for our study and just moving into the book of 1 Timothy and uh, looking forward to the wonderful things that you'll show us through your word. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation that he's provided for us at great cost to you, Lord, but freely available to all who call on him to be saved. Lord, we thank you again and and, uh, help us to not take that lightly. Help us to uh, have that reverential fear, that that respect of you, uh, Lord, in, in all that we do day by day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.